Blog Talk Radio. Carol the Coach. Sex, love, and relationships. We talk about it here. Carol the Coach. Compassion with contemporary relevance. I am a psychotherapist. I can be your personal life coach and I can help you with your issues. There are no problems too small or too big. You can talk about anything. Speaker, columnist, radio TV host, and commentator. Carol the Coach brings messages of wellness and empowerment within reach of everyday people every day. Almost five years ago, I lost my soulmate in an accident. He was killed in a plane crash. Life just for me has seemed to stop. There are groups all over the city. I mean, I teach one. It is a specific way to start thinking so that you shift how you see the world, which then shifts your energy, and then you feel better and you actually see things differently. Carol the Coach, always available to at carolthecoach.com. Now I've got Russell on the line. I'm 47 years old. I'm a truck driver. I'm married. I have a wife in San Francisco. Okay. I haven't been home in six months. My thing is, I, I don't know if I have a sex addiction or what the problem is. Why do I want what I can't have? And as mm-hmm. soon as I can have it, I don't want it anymore. You're right on target when you say, I don't know if I have a sexual addiction. Well, guess what? Yes, you do. And you know what? That's my specialty, Russell. So you're at the right place. Continue. I meet women online and, and I'm in a different part of the country. I, I travel all 48 states, so I love sex. I hear self-esteem issues. You never felt good enough and you didn't feel like you were getting what you should have then. And you're re- Enacting that now. Do you want to change that about yourself? You know, you may be wondering how did Carol the coach think there was a self-esteem issue when when Russell said he was going all over the country wanting to have sex with a lot of different people. Well. You know, I had talked with Russell earlier, and what I knew to be true is that he needed to be affirmed. He needed to have a lot of attention, and sex was not just sex. It was that ability to get attention, to feel affirmed, to feel positive, and that was the addiction. It just showed up sexually. And I know for a lot of people that's a hard one to figure out. Hey, I'm Carol the Coach, and I try to help make sense of this crazy life that can occur when you're a sex addict. And I recently, I recently got an email that, from Vicki, and she says, Hey, Carol, I listen to your podcasts. I look forward to them every Monday. My husband is a sex addict in recovery. One of the biggest problems or things that I'm dealing with is that he just had a child with an affair partner. We are still together, but I have been fighting lots, trying to navigate these waters. He wants to be a good father to his child, and I want the same. So I'm looking for advice on how to deal with the whole situation. Thought I would just throw it out there in case it can become a subject from one of your podcasts. Thank you for your time, Vicki. Well, I actually asked Vicki to come on the show. She was busy today. She said she'd come back on and we could talk about this. Obviously, whenever you're dealing with sexual addiction, you're dealing with collateral damage. And I don't know about you, but I think 
having a child out of the collateral damage of sexual addiction is definitely one of the hardest things to deal with. Now, Vicki says that her husband wants to be responsible. He wants to be a good father to his child, and so does she. She wants him to be a good father to his child, and and I applaud these two because it would be very easy to ignore this situation to the best of their emotional ability. And definitely, she could easily want nothing to do with this situation because how harmful is that? How harmful is it for you to be in love with somebody who had a sexual has a sexual addiction, is in recovery, and has a child? Wow, that means that this situation could very likely follow you for the next 18, 28, 38, 48, 58 years of your life. But what I know to be true is it's not the child's fault. And so if they can be responsible and adult-like and do the right thing, that's good recovery. That means that they have to decide what their boundaries are. You know, are they just going to support the child financially? Or are they going to spend some time with the child in visitation? I personally think that that's something that Vicki and her husband have to work out together. And Vicki sounds like she's on the same page with him. They want to do the right thing. And you and I both know that whenever you're working recovery, when you do the right thing and take it one step at a time, it ends up working out for you. I mean that sincerely. Now, sure, there are, there are some times that doing the next right thing could end up blowing up in your face. But we have to operate when we're in recovery, we have to operate as if doing the right thing is going to generate the right results. That's what recovery is all about. And let's face it, that's why we say one day at a time. Who knows what's going to happen in this situation? However, her husband, Vicki's husband, um, was acting irresponsibly. He was an addict. He was following through with impulses. And a consequence occurred that was a human life. And I do believe whenever we can honor kids, whenever we stand beside them, whenever we support them, no matter how hard that is for an adult, it's the right thing to do. So Vicki says, hey, Carol, can you please... Um, possibly do a podcast on this. And i got to tell you, I've been doing this for years and years and years, and I have not been aware of any situation like this. I know it happens. I just have not dealt with it directly. But more than anything, what I know to be true is that both of these people are emotionally mature. They're working towards doing the next right thing. And depending on what this child's mother wants, I mean, now it's a threesome, right? 
it's the well, it's actually a foursome: the mother, the child, the addict, and his wife. And so I say, get together, do a meeting, decide what you want to do, and try to compromise and negotiate. Because when you compromise and negotiate, you're working life at its finest. All relationships require that. And, you know, sometimes that means nobody gets their way. They have to give in a little bit at a time. We all get a choice as as to how we respond to our relationships. I was just telling somebody the other day that um, I came home from a long day at work. I had about 10 minutes to get ready for a wedding. And my husband, who had been home all day, wasn't ready. And you know, you know what it's like to be in a relationship. I was angry. I was mad he wasn't ready. I'm thinking, I have 10 minutes and I'm going to be ready. And then... I really looked at the bigger picture, and I said, you know what? My husband got me my medication today while I was working. He kind of cleaned the house and did the yard work while I was working. And so it really is the entire picture. It shifted my energy. It reminded me what is. And what is is not the fact that he's not ready. What is is about the things that we do together and how does he contribute and how do I show up. And I felt a whole lot better. I felt a whole lot better to be with this man and really enjoy everything he had done for me in the day. Now, here's what I believe in working with marital couples. This is before my sexual addiction. We women are managers, and so we tend to be more critical about how things occur in our lives. And so I'm a big believer in using words of affirmation, one of the five love languages, to really um, stabilize and encourage our relationships. And, you know, encouragement is one of those valuable tools that you can use no matter who you are, and what your relationship has been through. I always tell parents, it's not about the outcome, it's about encouragement. Notice the effort, not the outcome. So I'm going to ask you, think about something that isn't exactly right in your life with somebody else. Maybe it's a kid, maybe it's your coworker, maybe it's your husband or wife, And I'm going to ask you, what can you do to focus positively on that relationship to move it forward? And as metaphysics would have it, when you put out that kind of energy, you get it back. And you feel better, and life is better. So I'm going to say to you, what do you need to do to move your relationship forward in a positive way? That doesn't mean you get used. That doesn't mean you get trampled on. That means that you show up being the best person you can no matter what the situation. And you have good boundaries, and you decide what you can put up with and what you can't. 
and you take your life to the next level. And when you operate that way in front of, oh, gosh, in front of your relationships, in front of uh, the people that you care about, well, I have to promise you that truly it will definitely reap great results. So that's a tip that I want you to take away. And if you weren't a sex addict or you weren't a partner, I'd be giving you the same tip. Really work on noticing the effort, not the outcome. Really work on um, noticing the positive, not the negative. And so many of us know that in this land of sexual addiction recovery and partner trauma, our first step is to keep people safe and stabilized. The second major pillar in this work is mourning and grieving what was and dealing with that realistically. The third pillar of this work is restoring what is and making it better. So think about your life and ask yourself if you can do that. And I promise you, you'll be better for it. If you're the addict, you got to say, what can I do to make my partner feel safe and stable? And there's a whole host of things you can do. So, you know, look up APSATS, A-P-S-A-T-S, and find somebody in your area, somebody in your state, in your zip code, in your country code, who can help you work through that. If you're an addict, go to sexhelp.com and find somebody who has expertise in helping you manage this illness, this disorder, this condition. You shouldn't have to reinvent the wheel. You need to get as much support as possible. Patrick Carnes calls it developing the committee, the committee of fellowship, the committee of meetings, the committee of good counselors, the committee of groups, not just your 12-step meetings, but sexual addiction groups. Um, And when you have that whole committee, you've got a positive influence that will make a difference in your life and will help to guide you in the right direction. I hope that makes sense because it does to me. You know, people will say, well, Carol, I'm working with you. And I tell them, I am not enough. I'm not enough to make the difference. You need a village to work through this issue, just like kids do. You need a village, whether you're a partner or you're an addict in recovery. you got to have the committee to help back you up, to give you wisdom, to steer you in the right direction. And, you know, that powerful impact really is collaborative. It's a lot of energy, and it really makes a difference in the work that you do as well as, obviously, in how you see the world, what perspective you share. And so I can't emphasize enough, don't do it by yourself. Now, tonight I am actually talking with two co-authors, Dan Drake and Wendy Conquest, about their new book, Letters from a Sex Addict, Seen Inside My Mind. And this 
book is different than a lot of sexual addiction books because it helps you to understand what goes on in the mind of a sex addict and what you need to do to make your life better. So, Wendy and Dan, welcome to the show. Hi, Carol. Hi, Carol. Thanks for having us on. Can you hear hear me okay? I just want to check. Absolutely. I got you both on loud and clear. Oh, great. Thank you. Now, obviously, this is like a sequel to your last book, Wendy, and you and Dan collaborated on this. Tell us a little bit about why this book is different from a lot of the other books that are exceptional, but, you know, this book stands stands on its own. Tell us a little bit about it. Dan, you want to go? I'm going to ask Wendy, and I'll start directing you. Oh, you want to ask Okay, great, great. Um, well, first of all, um, so I, the book came, the first book that I wrote, Letters to a Sex Addict, uh, The Journey Through Great, Great Grief and Betrayal, came out in 2013. And uh, a month after it came out, I saw Dan. And by the way, the way Dan and I met was we did our certified sex addiction therapy training together, most of it, and got to know each other because we're in different geographic places So he's in L.A. and I'm in Boulder. And um, so we got to know each other through the trainings. And um, we were at a conference in October. And if I remember correctly, Dan said, you know, hey, I saw your book and I read it. And, you know, I think it's great. I think there should be a companion book to it from the addict's perspective. And I said, I think that's a great idea. Let's write it. And at that point, Dan Blanche. I think I think you said and, something even more like, um, "You, you want to write it with me?" Right. That's oh, right. very that's cool. Right. <laughs> so, uh, so that's how the second book started, and that was in January of 2014, and um, we uh, really wanted. I well. I especially wanted to expand the second book um, to because I was getting some feedback from the first book that oh you know we, we where is is there directions what should we be doing how should we be using the different chapters in the book so one of the pieces is that we expanded it and uh, put in questions and answers to the end of each chapter um, and we the the intros are longer and more descriptive. Um, and so uh, I'm really excited and happy about this book. I think it's the two work well together, but it stands on its own completely. Yeah, I would agree. As a matter of fact, I love how it's broken down into five phases. Dan, can you share a little bit about what the five phases are in terms of the journey of a sex addict? Sure, I'd be happy to. I, I wanted to back up just a, just a little bit for anyone that doesn't know Wendy's first book. It's it's a really interesting, important take on uh, the impact of sex addiction on partners. So it, it's what it does is it outlines five phases of the grieving process um, through through grief and betrayal, and that's what she she does, and it's in letter form. So it takes instead of talking about it in uh, you know, uh, there's a lot of books and resources and literature out there already on uh, on the you know grief and partners of sex addicts and the traumatic impact 
which is all really important. But what, what Wendy did in her first book was to be able to, to take a uh, more visceral sense of how that, how that impacts a partner. So that's what we try to do in this, in this book, really mirroring those five phases. What, what does it look like um, for an addict going through, um, you know, and I'll just say his. We might, obviously, addicts can be both men and women, but for simplicity, sometimes it's uh, easier to say him versus her. But, yeah, so we, we wanted to track the experience of, of an, a sex addict from pre-recovery through, you know, getting it through the recovery process. So the first part is before even discovery, before, you know, anything's happened before he's been found out, um, moving through discovery and the turmoil and the crisis that happens there, um, kind of the next phase is putting things together, trying to figure it out a little bit more, really starting to jump into recovery, getting it more. Um, and then the, the fourth phase is more, it, it's making decisions. It's, it's really solidifying recovery, getting a solid base. Um, and then five is, is really where someone's getting it. Um, they're finally, uh, you, you can see tracking their, their progress just in, in that letter form. You know, how are they, are they really understanding, you know, the experience of, of what their partner's going through? Are they really getting the, you know, the traumatic impact? But all, all the, are they in recovery? Do they understand their own addiction and where it came from? So you, you see that through the, the phases, and that's kind of the, the, the overall sense of it. Wendy, this really has to be almost like a second baby, you know, because obviously you <laughs> worked really hard on the first book. It's very, very popular. And this part walks you through the journey of a sex addict in letter form to his partner from pre-recovery through the recovery process. Now, talk a little bit about those five phases. Sure. Um, well, and, and I agree. It, um, the Writing a book, um, <clears throat> no one told me what was going to be involved in, in writing a book, um, and I'm really glad they didn't because I probably would have shied way away from it. Um, and so it was great being able to collaborate with Dan. Um, our Our process was really interesting and went, really smoothly, um, which I'm really grateful for. Um, so the, we decided the book starts with um, an actual letter explaining what sex addiction is. So we wanted um, from the very beginning for whoever was reading it to have a sense that they were connecting to someone real. Um, so that, that first letter, what is sex addiction, sex addiction journey, is written in letter form. And then uh, the first part is in the dark. And so, ah, so many um, people who are addicted to pornography or sexually, uh, 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 sexual behaviors that are secret um, have a lot of different excuses and a lot of different reasons that they tell themselves and friends and everyone else why they're doing what they're doing. So um, this, this first part is them uh, basically uh, talking about their experiences, just the glimmer of, wow, you know, this is a little weird. This is a little scary. Um, and also saying to the partner, you know, you're, you're bugging me, you're hassling me. Um, can you just leave me alone? This is your fault. So all the 
gaslighting behaviors that we see uh, with addicts are in this first part. And then it goes on to um, part two is unraveling. And so uh, this is with discovery. And we know that when addicts get found out, their worlds just absolutely collide. And um, there's a lot of trauma there and they uh, are um, really spiral into in many different directions. So the letters there reveal that. Um, and then part three is putting things together. Kind of self-explanatory there. Part four is making decisions. So around this stage of the journey, um, addicts have to really decide, um, am I really going to do the work or not? Am I going to really support my partner or not? Am I going to change a lot of the behaviors that I've been engaging in with her, those defensive, often nasty, often covert um, behaviors? Am I I really going to change that or or not? And then um, the the last last section is... Uh, moving forward and so it, it, that describes it um, this stage where you know not everybody in recovery gets here Carol you know that's I think one of the saddest pieces for me is that um, some people give up some people um, stall out um, but the, this this uh, this fifth part of the book really shows you what it sounds like when somebody is at this stage of recovery and they're, they're really embracing this new mindset, this new life, this new dynamic with people around them. And I would say, especially their wife or partner. Yeah. You know, I oftentimes work with very well-meaning addicts that have been, they're participating in their addict behavior for years and years and years. So when they, get what they need to do, they practice it, but they always don't do it perfectly. And if they don't do it perfectly and it's too discouraging to the partner, you know, the partner feels betrayed again, sometimes gaslighted, um, definitely doesn't feel safe, I wouldn't say they give up, but they don't give it their all. And that's what I I love about your book. It's kind of like part three and four talks about that, uh, that discouragement, and as well as what they need to do to fine-tune that to really move towards true, steady recovery. And Mm -hmm. um, what I believe to be true is we have to be realistic and at the same time, motivational as clinicians. And this book is an amazing book for clinicians because it helps them to maybe have a better grasp on these five stages and what that means in the recovery of an addict and the trauma of the partner. Um, you know, I don't know which one of you got Barb Steffens to do the foreword, but I know I've talked a lot about about Barbara Steffens, and she is the APSATS president, and she has really made it her mission to keep partners safe. And so her forward really is encouraging to both the addict 
and the partners that want their addicts better. And can I speak on that, Carol? I, I'm glad you, you picked that up because we, we really intentionally, we thought about different options for the forward and, you know, and there's, there's really good, good people that, that are, uh, that we considered and we talked about. Um, but when we ultimately came down to it, we thought Barb is such a great person, you know, from the partner's perspective, because we want this book to not only help addicts and help addicts therapists, you know, get the experience of what it might feel like, but we also really want to use this, how this could be used in coupleships um, towards healing. What can you expect? What does hope look like? And not a naive hope, but a, but we really tried to bridge some realism in there. So, yeah, we really wanted Barb to, um, you know, to, to give that endorsement, to give that perspective. Well, yeah, and Dan, you and I know because we are on the board of APSATS, which is the Partner Trauma Specialist Organization that trains clinicians. And, and what we first and foremost want to do when we're working with partners is to keep them as safe and stabilized as possible, no matter what the addict does out there. So a lot of our work is keeping their coping skills going, having them be separate from the addict so that they're not so devastated when an addict moves four steps forward and one step back. And so I really just felt like Barbara gave a lot of hope, strength, and recovery to the coupleship. And, and first and foremost, I believe APSATS is different than any other um, partner training organization because they have a little bit of a different bent. And, Wendy, I think you can appreciate this. Their yeah. bent is that when you're working with a coupleship, in actuality, the addict's self-esteem is improved when he can do the right thing with the partner. And so that's a little bit different than other organizations. They, we really feel like in APSATS that helping that coupleship and helping the addict to do the next right thing, obviously for his or her recovery, but also to keep that um, partner feeling safe and stable and allow her to grieve or him, um, that improves the self-esteem and ultimately increases the coupleship, the strength of the coupleship. And and that's what I, when I'm working with addicts, I'm like, okay, guys, you know, it's your mission to help recreate a, a safer and a more stable environment because you caused a lot of collateral damage. And now we know you can make up for it one step at a time. What do you think, Wendy? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that um, I, I don't have any data behind this, but, but I wanted to find um, one common denominator, at least one common denominator amongst all partners. And, um, and so I, I, I think I've found it. And every time I do a partner workshop or uh, I have a partner come in, um, this, this gets tried. And, and I've yet to have somebody disagree. So, um, so what I've asked is, okay, um, you know, one trait, any idea what it is. And um, it is overachieving by the partner. And so what I find is that, yeah, is that partners uh, of, of sex addicts, partners are, are very driven 
uh, very goal-oriented, very, you know, most of the time very successful, and that doesn't mean necessarily in business or work, but it can. But certainly whatever they put their mind to, whatever they uh, are, are, are connected to, um, they, they give it their all. And so um, what I find is that a lot of times they then are somehow um, taking the lead in the relationship. And this could be that while the sex addict is acting out, that they have to. Um, it mm-hmm. might be that the finances are slipping or, or the, the parenting is slipping, different areas of the, the, their family life, their partnership is, is slipping. And so, you know, unconsciously they just start taking more and more on. But somehow that dynamic happens. And then at discovery, um, I, I think one of the goals is, is to say, okay, um, you know, Mr. Addict, let's say, you have to step up now. You know, you, you, you have to come into the coupleship and, and stand firm there. You, you can't be um, running away when there's conflict, you can't be running away when you're overwhelmed. And, you know, I, I understand that that's, that could be part of the, the traumatic wounding, but we have to find ways for you to lead, for you to uh, feel confident in taking care of her, in um, really attuning and attending to her. And so um, I think some of the letters in the books start to reflect that um, in the later in the later chapters. Well, exactly. And as a matter of fact, I'm going to want each one of you to read a little bit from the book. Let me just tell my listeners who I'm talking to, because obviously, um, I said Dan and I are on the board for Appsets, but both of you are certified sexual addiction therapists and supervisors and that is um an amazing accomplishment i mean this is the biggest organization for for working with sex addicts i I just want to talk to my listeners for one second dan drake he's a licensed clinician a certified sex addiction therapist supervisor and he's a clinical certified partner specialist through the association of partners for sex addicts trauma specialists that's apsets he does the MDR. He uses his training and certifications in his work with sex addicts. He provides workshops. Um, his passion is to help people restore relationally, mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually to create kind of a wholeness in their life. And I happen to know Dan. I supervised with Dan when I was a student, and there really isn't a warmer person to help addicts and or partners through their life. So I highly recommend that you go to www.dandrakemft.com and take a look at his work and the tools that he offers. He co-authored this book with Wendy Conquest. And, Wendy, you have really made it your mission to educate people about what a sex addict is, how they feel, the trials and tribulations, and... I mean, you are a mentor to so many of us that really want to work with sex addicts. You're a psychotherapist. You're the director of SACC. You're a sex and porn addiction. That's a sex and porn addiction treatment center in Boulder, Colorado. And you wrote Letters to a Sex Addict, 
The Journey Through Grief and Betrayal. That was the first book. Now, Wendy's passion is to understand and create paradigms for change, and she's developed programs dealing with drug, alcohol, and sex addiction. We so oftentimes find that they're fused together. Um, And she treats partners of sex addicts with healthy sex and sexuality techniques. She's been doing this for 18 years, and now she's written Letters from a Sex Addict, Seen Inside My Mind, with co-author Dan Drake. So you both have really spent a lot of time wanting to educate and I think normalize um, the feelings, the beliefs, and the action plan that a sex addict and or the partner need to entail to get healthy. And so I so appreciate your work. Would you each be willing to read a little bit about um, your book, uh, because I think it's so important for our listeners to hear a little bit about it. Oh, sure. Uh, sure. Yeah, we'd love to. And, and again, thanks so much, Carol, for having us on. It's really, it's really an honor to be on your show. Um, one thing I wanted to say, and you, you said something before that I think is so important, is just how... Um, uh, what I've seen is the experience of, of addicts from the beginning. You know, we're told to go into recovery, and there, there's so much emphasis on recovery, which is so important. I think, unfortunately, so many well-meaning men and women get into recovery, and they don't realize that recovery alone is not going to heal a relationship. So getting sober, uh, when, and I say recovery, I mean just the sobriety part, but recovery itself is so much bigger. So what we wanted to do, there's uh, one letter I wanted to read. It's called Help which is the experience of so many addicts along the way. Um, this letter is written from the addict to the partner, and um, it's just a quick letter, but let me, let me just read it real quick. So it's called Help, from Gary in Indiana. All right, that's my state. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll say, what I will say is we, um, we made up all these letters, so these are not, you know, written from clients. These, aren't, these, are, these are from compilations of experiences, so we, we get that question. I just want, we're not exploiting clients or anything. This is something that we, we really wanted to, you know, we've seen these experiences. But, yeah, so this is uh, from, from someone that we're in, in Indiana. From um, the Midwest. You're right. Midwest. I, I shouldn't have said that, that these are um, descriptions of people that you've worked with. So continue. But they're common. No, and they're common experiences, and that's why we wanted to, to, to personalize them this way. So, we keep screaming at each other. We're both getting speeding tickets. I try to say I'm sorry, and it doesn't help. When we aren't yelling, then there's this cold, stony silence that I want to run away from. Some people are telling me this will never get better, and I should just leave now. Other people are saying that this will take a lot of time, but if I just stay sober, figuring out how I got this way, then maybe, just maybe, we can still make our marriage work. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to help you, and you say the cruelest things. Do you have to keep talking about what I've done? I know what I did. I do not have to be reminded of it over and over again. I'm sorry. You should be, the, you should be able to tell me your feelings. You need to get help, but I don't think there's anyone that can understand what has happened. You think you should ask your doctor for help? You think we should go to our pastor? This is so embarrassing for both of us. And I know... I know you'll get mad at me for saying that too, because everything I say is wrong. Wow. So that letter, you know, yeah. Go ahead. 
Yeah, I was going to say that is the discouragement an addict feels when they're trying to do the right thing, but their partner is so understandably wounded that they are on guard for everything that's wrong so that they won't get hurt again. So I love that letter because it really does describe what a partner feels and how it affects the addict. Now, Wendy, can you read one? Yes, I would be happy to. And I want to also echo, Dan, thank you, Carol, so much for having us on your show. It's just a a joy, really, to, to be talking to you again and to be sharing this. Thank you. Oh, my pleasure. You two are amazing. And you know what I love about your style, both of you, is that you make whoever you're working with feel very, very comfortable. And there is so much shame that goes along with being an addict and actually even being a partner of an addict, that to feel comfortable, normalized, I mean, it's just an amazing journey. So thank you. Thank you. So this um, this letter is from the last part of the book, and it's entitled Finally, from Redding, California. We are in such a better place. I do not ever want to go back to our former life. What pain and misery. I'm happy that when I say that now, you agree. I'm grateful that you have stuck by me. This was not easy for either one of us. I think the worst was seeing your pain and knowing my addiction caused it. I say my addiction now instead of me. And we are in both agreement that my behaviors were not really who I am. Time has passed, and it is hard for me to believe what I did. It seems like a dream, a a nightmare, really. I look back and see how my thoughts led me to dark places. I can kind of see how I could justify things, and from this place, all of it appears crazy. When I tell my story at meetings, I still realize what I did, and that time seems so very far away. I want to say that it didn't happen. I want to say it was not me, but I know it was. I never want to be in that place again, and I want you to know I'm doing everything I can to make sure that I do not repeat the past. And and that is what I find so many addicts feel. They want to do the next right thing, and even if they slip up, you know, so many of my addicts will take polygraph tests. And prior, you know, they get their questions the day before they take the test, and they may even say, no, I didn't do that, no, I didn't do that, no, I didn't do that. And then they think about it for six or eight hours. And they go, well, you know what, I can't say I didn't do that. I can't say that I didn't objectify for less than three seconds. As a matter of fact, I probably thought about her three times for a minute and a half. And what we all know is that that can be very traumatizing to a partner because she heard no and then she heard yes And when she hears that he didn't use his tools exactly the way he should have, it's scary. 
it's like, are they really going to get better? And what happens if three minutes turns into 30 minutes, turns into three hours, turns into three weeks? And yet, when they're in the coupleship with us, they do want to get better. They want to make a difference. They want to feel good about themselves. So I am always saying, you know, it's not about perfection, but it is definitely about improvement. Now, let me ask you a little bit. At the end of each section of your book, there are questions for reflection. What made you decide to format the book in that way? Either one of you can answer. Well, I'll say, you know, Wendy had said earlier um, that from her book, she wrote a lot of important letters, but when the feedback she got was that, uh, you know, how, how do we use this? How do we use the uh, each chapter specifically? So what we did, we talked a lot about um, what would what would the, the thinking be in that particular section, that particular phase? And so we took that, and what we wanted to do was, in each phase, really have someone think about um, for reflection for that person. It could be questions that a therapist or a coach or uh, a professional that's trying to help could use with that person to help them be thinking through it, uh, you know, through that particular section. So, for example, in the, the, the beginning, um, if someone's resonating with those letters from the beginning, that's not a good sign because those letters are pretty uh, – are, are difficult, and this is someone pre-recovery. So, we wanted to have them be thinking about, um, you know, how, what are their thought patterns? How can they change some of these things? What are the decisions? So phase three, making decisions. What are some of the decisions that they need to be making? What does disclosure look like? Um, so just giving, building some more resources, having them reflect on them, and, um, you know, also for, for further, further progress both for their own recovery but also for relational healing. Well, and you and I both know, Dan, that when a couple comes to a specialist, whether it be a partner specialist or a CSAT, we really do want them to participate in the disclosure as as soon as they are really capable of staying safe and stable. And would you tell our listening audience, what is the difference between discovery and disclosure? Oh, great question. Yeah, so the main difference, typically the typical scenario that with, with people that come to my office, and I think it's pretty consistent, usually the difference is discovery is something that uh, the partner finds. It could be a text message, it could be an image, it could be a video, it could be something. Um, unfortunately, it could be cops showing up at the door, um, but that's discovery. So disclosure uh, it, it, it's something that's found out as discovery. Disclosure is something that the addict is, is actively telling um, to the partner. And there's different ways that he or she might disclose. Sometimes it's the drips and drabs disclosures. You know, partner of, uh, asks some questions, and then he's trying to answer those questions, <laughs> or maybe sharing some of the details, not all the details, which is pretty common. Um, unfortunately, when more and more information comes out and the pain of that, uh, the, the discovery and uh, this further discoveries along the way or further disclosures can be even more painful. So usually, so again, I, the, the simplest way I would understand it is discovery is usually something the partner finds, disclosure is something that the addict shares. That totally makes and sense. And I hope for our listening audience that they get the differentiation. Wendy, what would you add to that? Um, well, and... Um, in the appendix, and, and I think we're going to talk about the appendix in, in a little bit, but there Absolutely. is um, 
there's this beautiful um, it's appendix three and it's a disclosure statement and it basically goes through what a therapeutic disclosure is so there's a difference between um, there's a difference between simply disclosing information mm. and then a therapeutic disclosure so um, and and as Dan was saying a lot of addicts will start to say um, it sort of dribs and drabs about what the sexual acting out was like. Um, we know now that a lot of addicts are dissociated and when they're acting out. And so um, when confronted, they're not going to remember a lot. So uh, I think Dan and I both use this, this process and, and um, supervise um, a CSATs uh, coming up in the ranks to do it in this way. But we have the um, addict go through and uh, do a timeline and, and really think through how the addiction uh, started and how it progressed and then um, how it manifested through, you know, all his relationships and also the relationship that he is in. Um, I, I think Dan and I both do it this way. I know I do it this way, and there's controversy. Um, when the addict actually sits down with me and usually a co-therapist and then he and his wife or partner, um, I really want him to start from the very beginning um, and pre-relationship and, and talk about everything that um, led up to today. Um, I find that the partners really um, appreciate the uh, insightfulness into the roots of the addiction I find that the partners can um, a lot of times empathize more with him and what he's done if they know the context of it. Um, but as I said, not, not everybody in our field does it this way. I would agree 100%. And that's, the appendix is great because it does give you certain tools that you, so that you can either understand what a process is because all three of us agree that a disclosure should be a formalized process because we want everybody to feel safe, not just the partner, but the addict too. Now, yeah. you are doing something exciting because you're talking about how the questions at the end of each section can be used either individually by someone reading the book or even better in a group setting or a therapeutic context for further exploration. So talk a little bit about how one can use your book if you're a clinician, and we have lots of clinicians that listen to this show, how can they use it in group or in their treatment center? When do you want to do, do that? Do you want to do that? Yeah. <laughs> um, sure. So, um, so first of all, I love the idea of clinician. Well, you know, so, so when, when the, I'm going to say the infidelity is, Exposed because at the very beginning, a lot of people um, don't identify whatever's going on as sex addiction or pornography addiction. We kind of have to screen for that, right? I think as as good, good mm -hmm. clinicians, we have to say, wait, what is, what, what is this? Is this a one-off? Is this a, a pattern, but it hasn't um, uh, morphed into addiction yet, or is this is this sex addiction, pornography addiction? So that's the first piece is how do we assess and, and figure that out. Um, so, the, so what I find is that a lot of my clients, the very first person that they went to was a couples therapist. 
if you go to a couples therapist and the couples therapist, you know, unfortunately isn't savvy in sex addiction or pornography addiction, um, you know, a lot can go wrong. So uh, I would really, yeah, I would encourage um, clinicians working in the individual capacity, working with couples to read the book. And have um, a more visceral, uh, insightful experience as to what addiction looks like, sounds like first. Um, and then if somebody is uh, a sex addiction therapist or, you know, working with sex addiction, pornography addiction, um, they can um, certainly use the questions at the back uh, so they can, they can say, hey, um, let's say they have an individual client come in and they say, um, wow, I'm kind of sensing that this, this um, sexual behavior is a little more than, than average. Um, why don't I have them read the beginning of the book and see if they resonate with any of the letters at the beginning of the book? And, well, you know, um, I've I want to challenge all of our, re- our listeners to get this book and to give it to their clinician whether that be a CSAT, an APSATS, or a couple's marital counselor, a pastoral counselor, because it is an education in and of itself. It educates the reader, and it educates clinicians. So, everybody, I'm going to encourage you, buy this book, and they can get it through Amazon. Is that not right, Dan? Oh, that's correct. Yeah, and if it's okay, I wanted to add one thing to, like a specific example from um, one of the sections, if that's okay. Absolutely. Sure. So, for example, you could use this in a group setting for discussion. So in the unraveling, unraveling section, which is section two, one of the questions is simple. What's missing from each of these letters? So it's a very broad, open question, but you can use that because section two, there's a lot that's going to be missing for someone in that, in that phase of the process. They don't really get the, They're fairly self-focused. They may be in a lot of shame which could show up a lot of different ways. It could show up in anger. It could show up in, you know, really trying to take the victim stance, which a lot of addicts do. They go into victim mode and find a way of becoming, uh, you know, going into shame and collapsing and wanting people to rescue them. So you could really look, use that in a group and try and challenge the people in the group. What are they seeing from these letters and how might they, you know, uh, get, get outside of their own perspective? Because a lot of times, they might hear these very same, you know, uh, points, just like in Wendy's first book. They might hear the same letters exactly expressed from their partners, but when they can hear other people in a group um, express these sentiments or challenge them on their own distorted thinking patterns, then they can start to move and change and grow. So, and there's a section, the questions are for addicts as well as partners. So partners reading through this, they can look and see, you know, what, what kind of words are, are they hearing from their own addict in their life? Um, and the similar thing that we're asked the partners, what's the problem with each letter? They'll know. So the nice thing is you could use this in couples because then you've got an addict and a partner, maybe different answers to that, to that same question, but you'll get a lot of information from a partner because the partner's going to understand, you know, there's a lot that's missing here. What is she going to look for? So that can be really telling to see kind of where the addict is in the journey and then, you know, move them towards uh, helping him get it so that he's not creating more damage, but also educating him. He might not understand. He might have learned all these core beliefs growing up of um, I can only depend on myself. I'm bad. I'm, I'm unworthy. I'm, and how all those things manifest themselves in relationship. So you can use those questions as a way of 
uh, opening up some discussion and trying to get some, some more insight. Yeah, that's a really good point. So as we begin to wrap up for tonight, I would like for you to share a little bit more about that important appendix. I mean, very few books have an appendix that offer the resources that yours does. Talk a little bit more about that. Um, I'll say, if it's okay, Wendy, I just wanted to say that uh, Wendy has a really beautiful, she wrote uh, the the phases of of grief. Um, Again, I think there's a a mirror to her first book. And I I think she wrote a really, really beautiful way of how how the the recovery process is a grieving process. Um, And I think sometimes early recovery, we don't understand that, that someone might be giving up a coping mechanism. Of course, it's created incredible damage in relationships, but they're giving up something that might be more stable than any relationship they've had. So understanding the grieving process, so that's one of the appendices is, uh, you know, understanding the grief. Um, you know, and we've we've tried to, I, I feel like most appendix uh, are kind of an afterthought or just some helpful information, but we really wanted to put some things like that or ha- how to navigate the disclosure process, at least the basics of understanding it, so anything you'd add, Wendy? Yeah. So um, Dan uh, contributed the first piece, the first appendix, which is healthy self-care activities. And, you know, we, we, uh, we talk a lot about self-care and it's, it's almost becoming, you know, kind of an, uh, uh, an sort of an everything catch-all phrase. Um, but, um, what what Dan did is is he was so thoughtful and mindful in um, presenting self care activities in a different way, and so um, it I, and it can be used both for the addict and the partner. And I I, I would love for people to start um, the both both the partner and the addict and the couple to when they're at the right place um, is to be doing these. Um, daily, and then if they're doing a weekly check-in, to say, hey, you know, let me tell you what I um, did today to or this week to relate to others in a healthy way. Uh, let me tell you what my therapeutic and recovery-based items were um, this week. Uh, let me let me tell you how I nurtured my physical health. Um, and, and and I mean, just just the way that Dan phrased it, right? My ways of nurturing my physical health because. Addicts have a tendency to go overboard with everything, <laughs> so, right. so we want to we want to infuse this idea that we're we're slowing down, and we're being more aware and mindful and careful as to what we pick and how how we choose um, to take care of ourselves and to manage stress and you know what fun what what would be some again dan writes my esteemable acts fun and passion i mean that, that's you know i when i when i read that and i've read this so many times but when i read it again my brain sort of lights up around that like wow that sounds like that's i get curious about that i get interested in that um what what do i do that's an esteemable act and and fun and 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 at my core, right, and my, my core um, that matches my, my core um, identity, Absolutely. which I think is a big goal for, for addicts because they just don't know who they are. You got it. And 
I so appreciate, again, that you two therapists really understand how it feels to be an addict and a partner. And empathy is what we teach our clients, right? We teach them how to develop empathy for each other and for themselves. And this book is just a beautiful depiction of that. I want to I one more time talk about the name of this book because they may get confused a little bit. So you've written two. This is uh, a sequel. That was from a sex addict. Do you call it a sequel, Wendy? Is it, is it a sequel? <laughs> I'm that's, calling it a sequel. A is great, it a sequel? That's a great question. Yeah, I don't know if it's a sequel or, or a companion book. Um, Barb, uh, Barb Steffens was so uh, great and generous in the foreword to really say how the two work together very yeah. well. And and I love it that the the partner has a voice and now the addict has a voice and 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 that there's nothing better than than both people being seen and heard. Absolutely. So we are talking with Wendy Conquest and Dan Drake. They're both co-authors, and they wrote letters from a sex addict seen inside my mind. I highly recommend that you get that through Amazon. It's probably available in your bookstore. Um, you can go to either one of their websites to find out more about them. That would be www.dandrakemft.com or www.wendyconquest.com. You guys, Carol, thank can you I also so much the book, for doing that. Okay. Carol, the, the book has its own website as well. Oh, okay. And, and so that website is? Uh, LettersFromASexAddict.com? That's it. That's it. And um, Dan and I are planning on doing webinars, and um, also we are embarking on putting this into a stage production. Oh, wow. That's incredible. (laughs) (laughs) That will be incredible. um, You know it's incredible, (laughs) and it probably has never, ever, ever been done. Tying the two books um, together. (laughs) So uh, if you need another reader, I'm telling you, I'm dramatic. I love getting into these roles. And one of the things I know about us therapists is when you work with people in this field, you really do feel their pain. You see their Mm. strength, hope, and recovery. So, Wendy and Dan, good luck to you. Let us know when the next project comes out, and we'll advertise it. We'll promote it like crazy. Thank you, right. Carol. I so appreciate Thanks, you Carol. and all the great work you do. It's really Thank really you, guys. Great. We'll talk to you later. Thank you. All right. Thanks. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. That was Wendy Conquest and Dan Drake, who have done a companion book. I called it a sequel, but it's a companion book, Letters from a Sex Addict, Seen Inside My Mind. I got to tell you, they're two of the most compassionate therapists I know. So if you can work with them specifically, um, boy, I wish I knew where Dan Drake worked. I know he works in California, but I can't remember if it's Santa Rosa or not. And Wendy works out of Colorado. So go to their websites, dandrakemft.com, wendyconquest.com, or go to their website, lettersfromasexaddict.com, to get more information about them. Well, we're running late, so i got to go. But as I tell you at the end of every show, 
mean this from the bottom of my heart, whether you're an addict or a partner, there will only be one of you at all times. So I fearlessly want you to have the courage to be yourself. Keep working on hope, strength, and recovery, and help us to help you by teaching you the resources you need to actualize your potential. You have a great night.